Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. When you get enough interoception, meaning awareness of your internal mechanisms and all your emotions, right? And you start to make contact with your most traumatized parts and like start to like love them and surface them, make them more explicit, share them through relationship. And they start to feel better over time. That is your direct connection to spirit. Like that part is also your direct connection to your intuition and to spirit. And so what can feel like intuition can sometimes be uh, a dissociated trauma response and like a subtle underneath that is what the intuition is. The part that's most traumatized is usually the part that's most sensitive to intuition too. Um, and so when you can help that part become more explicit and more regulated, um, and then you start to listen to it, because that's the whole point of an illness, right? As we were talking earlier about is like to listen yeah. to your body. When you can actually listen to the part that was suicidal or super angry or depressed, and you can start to improve your relationship with those parts and go, mm. what, are you, what, are you, what are you trying to tell me right now? This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Today on the show is Mastin Kip. Mastin is a number one best-selling author. He's a speaker and creator of what's called functional life coaching. Basically, Mastin takes your problems, whether they be internal or manifesting external, and looks at trauma. He is an expert in the area of trauma. And trauma doesn't always have to be something that you wear on the surface. It can be on the inside. And so he has such a deep understanding for, um, for how the mind works and how the body works and where this trauma is stored. Uh, he, his, his scope is just really great. And, um, it's also very, very practical and very functional. So the, the interview took, um, it started off in a place that I didn't think we'd be because he is such an expert in trauma. And we, <laughs> I guess maybe it's not that far fetched, but we talked about relationships. And so I guess the most amount of trauma feels like it happens in a relationship. So perhaps it's the ideal place, but we also talk about emotional intelligence, emotional regulation. Uh, we talk about uh, intuition and uh, rewiring the nervous system. Um, so we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of, of what happens inside the body as a result of trauma. And, um, and then some true action points for what you can do next, um, where you can go to get help, what you can read, and eventually just how you can live a more balanced uh, life from an emotional standpoint and a physical standpoint. So enjoy the episode. Thanks for having me on Danica. This is like so cool. Oh my God. I'm so, I'm so glad it finally happened. I know we're not in person, but, um, it's like just making the connection, yeah. and then, you know, 
still in person to come, but a hundred percent. And what, what's so happening? Glad. What's happening behind you right there? Like what is, oh, what is that? It, it's uh, so I had a friend commission some art for me. I gave wow. her the creative direction to use like desert. I'm in Arizona. So like desert landscape kind of colors, like nudes and browns. And I wanted wow. red in there because red is a, my favorite color. And okay. Um, kind of go with this sort of phoenix rising sort of vibe and nice. sort of thing. So it's I said, I need something behind me for my interviews. So yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. It looks gorgeous. Well, aesthetically, I should bring up the fact that you're not wearing your classic black t-shirt. You're wearing a white <laughs> button down and a black tie. So what's that all about? Well, it's actually back to roots. So I, it's a very long story. I guess I'll get into it briefly. So I used to dress like this and then I kind of disowned it for a while and very long story short. Um, I don't, I haven't really talked about this publicly. So I think it's maybe the first time um, on my mother's side, uh, I'm a DuPont. And so my fifth grandfather back was EI DuPont who founded the DuPont company. And, you know, I do trauma work, right. And we try to help people not, uh, not have adverse experiences. And the, the dark side of the DuPont family is that you know they made a lot of gunpowder and they contributed to killing a lot of people, and you know they su supplied the union with gunpowder. So it was you know they're on the right side of history, but there's a lot of death in my lineage. And I found out recently I was talking to a cousin of mine, and she informed me that we actually and I looked this up and I verified it. The Dupont company actually made the plutonium that was a part of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, that was a part of the Manhattan Project. And in my whole life I felt this like need to stop something that my family created. And so last year I couldn't walk for like six months and it all kind of boiled down to my body. Didn't want one more DuPont causing trauma in the world. Uh, very unconscious, very, you know, uh, subtle, uh, stuff. But when I got in touch with it, so many things I was doing made complete sense. Um, and so a part of, you know, disowning that identity was, you know, I grew up wearing suits and ties, and all type of stuff. I'm kind of coming back into it, but on my own terms now, uh, so mm -hmm. it's kind of a reclamation process. So thanks for noticing that, by the way. Mm, yeah, yeah, from a new perspective. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know I represent a lot because I do trauma work. I work with a lot, a lot of people from many different backgrounds, and I'm I'm a white male. I have a privileged background, privileged history, privileged lineage. I represent the oppressor in so many cases, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to do my part to end the cycle on my side because my family was the oppressor and causing so many problems for so long. Um, and uh, in fact, I have a little book here at Regular HQ. It's like a little old school DuPont like notebook um, with Quan Yin over it. Kind of like it's kind of met sort of metaphorically is like let's like cleanse this lineage. Let's like not do this mm -hmm. anymore. You know. So it's it also made sense. Why why do I do trauma work? And it, finding that out made a lot of sense for me. Wow, so, yeah. that's like a full circle. Like we just started and ended the circle of like yeah. you right there. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, like, I mean, I'm <laughs> definitely gonna keep you for a lot longer. But, sure, yeah, of course. But, yeah. Um, but that is fascinating. I mean, like so many words come to mind, you telling that story. Like, of course, the one that I, you know, have heard from you that I say all the time to people, like the issues are in the tissues or you Big know, time. cellular memory, and you know, obviously the trauma itself. So um, how maybe even just like what happened for mm. context, for sure. example, you know, you said you couldn't walk for six, six months. months. That's yeah, six very months. intense. That's very, very intense. intense. Would that be described as a somatic response? Oh, you could call it that. Yeah. And I, it was funny. Not, it was not funny, but it's funny now. Um, my 
so I have, I don't know what supination means. So you take your feet and they're kind of like supinated. So they kind of curve in like this and on themselves. So I've had sup- more and more supinated feet over the years because I do seminars and I'll do seminars for four to 14 days sometimes, depending on which seminar we're doing. And mm. I'll walk for 10 to 12 hours a day. And so the more I would walk, the more supinated they would get. And I didn't have a routine for that. Um, and they've been getting progressively worse since I was about 25 and I'm 39 now. Um, and so last year with COVID and stuff like that, you know, I think the emotional impact of everything plus, you know, decades plus of all this walking, my feet were so supinated. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't stand. I couldn't walk like the fascia just on the bottom of the feet and the ankle. And it's actually interesting. It all originated in my left ankle, uh, on the inside, the medial side of my left ankle is where the whole tension pattern starts. It goes up my body and kind of crosses over. And the mm-hmm. right side is intense too, but the left side is like super intense. But what would happen is that the left side would spasm and freak out and then nothing would happen on the right side. And then that would release and then the right side would go and they would alternate. And I talked to osteopaths. I talked to you know, orthopedic surgeons. I went down the, down the list of people. What is this diagnosis? And nobody, nobody had a diagnosis for me, which drove me nuts because I like to understand what I'm working with. So I, I define my own diagnosis which is sort of an heir to Einstein. Einstein calls uh, quantum entanglement spooky action at a distance when two yeah. you know, particles do the same thing, but they're not in contact. So I just yeah. called it spooky fascia at a distance because I didn't know what else to call it. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it, but they would alternate back and forth. And some people were suggesting surgery and stuff. And I got with an incredible osteopathic doctor who understands the OMT, which is osteopathic manipulation, which is a subset of osteopathy mm-hmm. that only a few doctors really understand. So they do all the MD training, all the DO training, and then they take this like extra, you know, two or two year, you know, deep dive into human anatomy and the fascial system. So they understand like how to like manipulate fascia in a way to help it release in a way that nobody else really understands. So I combine that with, you know, that work and then uh, cupping, myofascial release, John Barnes style myofascial release, and then my own, you know, therapy that I was doing. And in August, uh, so I wasn't walking, it was not going well, I was taking tons of NSAIDs, Toradol wasn't working, which is crazy to think about. Wow. It's crazy to think about. And then in August of 2020, I was just like, what do you want me to know? <laughs> right? Just like, please. There you go. <laughs> what do you want? What? What do you want? Right? Because um, I understand I'm a trauma guy. I do, all the, I do this work with my clients all the time. And the fa- I mean, the fascia has so much memory of trauma, which we could mm-hmm. talk about because it's so important. But um, in August of 2020, I had this myofascial session and that evening, like I wasn't on drugs, but I had a full on psychedelic experience of like literally like a thousand memories of all this abandonment kind of coming back to me, all coming from the same kind of pattern. And I held my foot and I was crying and I was holding myself and processing because I understand how to regulate and stuff. And then at the end of this process, I could see how all this pain in my life came from this one pattern, one pattern. And I looked at my foot and I held my foot and I believe you talk to your body. It has parts. We know that. And I said, I wouldn't want to move forward if I were you either. I was holding my left foot. And it was all about maternal abandonment, basically, um, mm-hmm. which is not my mom's fault. She had a broken back and stuff like that. But it was like really powerful. And so I said, look, um, if you can release and let go, I'll pay attention to you from now on. Like I'll, I'll, like, I'll be there for you. And we'll make sure that my team knows, everybody knows. And after that, like we got better very quickly. Um, and then my performance coach, uh, dear friend, Adam Cobb, uh, came into Asheville and we've been training since October every day. And this, I mean, he trains NBA guys, he trains actors, entrepreneurs, and I'm there, he's in Asheville. I'm like, can we take a step? Let's just take one step. Cause I can't really walk right now. And we worked it up from like 
literally one step uh, back in October to like this afternoon session. We were like doing all kinds of crazy pliability and jumping around and stuff like that. And I've dropped like 50 pounds since then too. So it's been like a whole releasing. But then I, I talked to my, my cousin Lexi. Uh, I don't know. That must have been like November, December of last year. And she's like, hey, dude, by the way, the DuPont and like those two pieces like went together because it was not just the maternal abandonment. There was a part of me that felt that cellular memory that like my family did bad stuff, right? And was contributing to a lot of things. So it was very, uh, it was very, uh, it was a very intense 2020 to say the least. <laughs> it's super intense. You know, when the trauma guys, trauma comes up. <laughs> That's, but I think, you know, I always, people want to hold their teacher or guru or whoever it is that they look to for advice to be perfect. They're like, if you do this, you should. And I, and I stop and I'm like, yeah, really? How the hell do you, and why do you think they got into this in the first place? Cause sure. they need it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, like I, you don't get passionate about something if it's just natural and easy, like right. you are passionate about the things that you want and that you seek and that you need. And so I almost think it's a rite of passage that someone yeah. that's speaking about something is going through it and having heart because it's like, you're going to figure it out. Cause it's your, you know, it's, it, that's your, that's what you're here to do. And, and, and it's calling you. So I think that it's totally admirable to speak to that story and to, and to describe it and really valid, validate sort of this space. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I do my best. Like I don't literally do this, but like, I'll pick my nose in front of my clients if they put me on a pedestal because it's not about that. Um, mm -hmm. And people like, I mean, it's cool to aspire or have, be inspired by somebody, but I think that perfectionism is like, like doesn't belong in the trauma informed space, right? Because like you can't expect your teacher or your mentor to be perfect because everybody's nervous systems gets dysregulated, and um, that's not really a trauma informed approach, right? So what I don't do with my clients, in fact, this is the first time I've talked about it um, publicly. What I don't do with my clients is I don't talk about what I'm going through in the moment with them because that wouldn't help them feel safe. But I will definitely mm -hmm. talk about something like this now because I've gone through it, I've processed through it, I've you know regulated through it. I feel really good about it. My body's super pliable. I ended up becoming a Tom Brady fan, which I wasn't happy about uh, during the process because his pliability stuff is so good. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was not a Tom Brady fan before, but unfortunately I am now, um, and that's all Adam's fault. But yeah, I'm okay I, with that. Tom Brady <laughs> Brady's great to cheer for. Yeah, you know, he's amazing. What I, what I loved about Tom Brady that I didn't get is Adam helped me understand because he's a longtime Tom Brady fan is that like, he's the underdog. Like even now seven Super Bowls in next season, they're like, well, they're not favored to win next year. It's because he's, <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, it's because he's old, right? Like totally. he's kind of like an underdog because he's sort of, he's not at the pinnacle of his sort of like the cultural, like the quintessential age for a quarterback. So he's totally. an underdog because you're like, can the 40 some year old do it this year? Totally. Yeah. And I, 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 I gained massive respect because I read his book, TB12 method. Mm -hmm. And he actually talks about in his book, which I was like, whoa, okay, Tom. Okay. Okay, Tom. Okay. Um, he talks about his pliability process, obviously hydration and stuff like that. But he talks about the way in which he creates pliability in the body, which is emotional, uh, a fascial flexibility, right? Is in the positions that would cause like the active motion positions that would cause his body negative trauma is what he calls it or impact trauma. They do those same positions, but they apply what's called positive trauma, or I think, you know, trigger point type work or rolling out type work in those positions that are active. So it's not like a static stretch. It's like he's moving his body in the position of like throwing while mm -hmm. releasing the muscles and stuff like that. And I was huh. like, 
that makes a lot of sense because that's what we do with people emotionally. We help them go back into emotionally difficult situations and memories and positions and then have a different experience. I was like, oh man, am I a lot like, are we, we're so on the same page. Like, no, fine. Okay. You know, like it was like a, it was a, it was a, it was a come to Jesus moment. Adam, Adam would be happy with that though. He's Mm. definitely a Tom Brady fan. That's cool. That's really cool. Okay. I want you to, so I feel like one of the things that people, and look, here I am going mom or dad, like, you know, my childhood trauma. And they're like, they're like, I didn't beat you. I didn't, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't, you know, whatever. Like there's so many things that come up when you tell somebody like I have trauma. And I think that it's the education of the word trauma that needs to be yeah. uh, absolutely emphasized and promoted everywhere because it's it's not what most people think it is. So That's accurate. Please, like explain trauma um, to everyone. When you really understand what trauma is, and then you do your trauma work, like your life improves significantly. Like it really does because like you start to feel better, your mental health improves, your relationships improve, finances improve. And that's just not hyperbole. Like there's like so much data, like peer reviewed metadata now across many different spectrums and populations to suggest that trauma work is so valuable. Um, It hasn't made its way into the mainstream, you know, American Psychiatric Association's DSM diagnosis yet, unfortunately. Um, But when you look at what trauma is, right? I've, I'm a NMD, which is not a medical doctor. Okay. That's what I am. Okay. So I don't have any credentials. I don't have any certifications, but I have like 20,000 hours working with people uh, over a decade plus, and we've gotten incredible outcomes with people. Um, and we're starting to do preclinical trials on our work to document the efficacy so we can start to publish papers on it. Um, but when you look at what trauma is, there's so many definitions depending on who you talk to, right? You talk to like a standard psychiatrist or psychologist, they'll give you one definition. You talk to neuroscientists, they'll give you a different definition. Um, you talk to you know someone like Bessel van der Kolk, he'll give you a certain definition or you know Dr. Bruce Perry, amazing, he'll give you a definition. Dr. Stephen Porges, all these people give you different definitions and they're all in the right direction. So what I've basically done is try to summarize it in a way that people can understand. And it's a little ver- verbose, but I'll do my best to say it slowly, okay? So trauma and emotional trauma is any experience of threat, disconnection, isolation, or immobilization. That's important to understand. It's threat, disconnection, isolation, or mobilization Mm -hmm. that dysregulates the optimal functioning of your body, of your health, of your immune system, of your nervous system, of your spirit, of your brain, of your emotional body, right? Um, and it has to have a long-term effect. It's not something that just happens like momentarily and then you move on. So if you have a dysregulated nervous system, immune system, endocrine system, uh, emotional system, brain, uh, body, uh, emotions, mind, spirit, any of those things are not operating functionally and optimally, then you are most likely in some type of emotional trauma response. Because our goal is to be at op- opt- uh, optimal functioning and to be able to experience adverse experiences, but then like creatures in nature, like shake it off and then proceed in the present moment, right? Mm-hmm. But when we get stuck and when we're in anxiety or depression, uh, perfectionism, you know, go down the list of all the emotions, right? And then all the different diagnoses that are out there, PTSD, DID, OCD, all the Ds, right? Um, those are all trauma responses. And so it's so much more than a physical injury. People think that it has to be a dramatic physical injury that that's traumatic, that's blunt force trauma or a capital T trauma, but trauma can be 
you know, your parents weren't emotionally in tune with you, right? But there's a difference between physical survival needs and emotional needs, right? So you can have your physical needs met and still be traumatized because your emotional needs weren't met, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an emotional game. So like with physical trauma, um, you know, you see bruises, you can see things, right? Um, but with emotional trauma, like there, it's, it's, it's invisible. Now you can, you can get data from the nervous system and from the body. Now we can kind of start to measure these things, but it's still a, a newer science it's a softer science, but it's more or less invisible, but it shows up in, um, behaviors that help us not move forward to achieve goals, not operate functionally, defiance, rebellion, all those different things. So if you're in any of those responses, the likelihood that there's emotional trauma there is significantly high. And, and also there's a, a, a big correlation now between emotional trauma and chronic disease, right? So if you look at most chronic, no one catches diabetes or no one catches fibromyalgia. You catch COVID, right? But that's an infectious disease, but you don't catch fibromyalgia and, or, you know, uh, endometriosis or whatever, right? There's so many different chronic mm-hmm. illnesses. And what's really interesting is the world's leading functional medicine doctors, um, are starting to see sometimes correlation and sometimes causation between mm. emotional trauma and chronic illness. And that sounds like, like almost like victim blaming, like my thoughts create, gave me cancer or something like that. But that's not exactly the take. The take is when you have emotional or nervous system or immune or endocrine dysregulation, it makes your body more susceptible to pathogens, Right. And so the pathogen will enter the body and then sort of metastasize or nest or start to materialize in the areas of most susceptibility, which is why when you look at, for example, certain cancers, everybody has cancer for the most part. The reason why if someone gets cancer that's like, you know, life-threatening is because the immune system doesn't recognize it as a threat anymore. And you have to look at why is that? Yes, environmental toxins are the main cause of cancer. Genetic cancers are a very small percentage of cancers. But when you look at like what body did this cancer enter, right? And what was going on in its nervous system and immune system and endocrine system? And you realize that, well, the state of that person's body and immune system and endocrine system was dysregulated because of an emotionally traumatic experience, then they're more at risk to be able to get chronic illness, right? So it's not a blame the victim situation, but mm. you know, just like with COVID, COVID is a metabolic disease, right? If you are metabolically healthy, the likelihood you're going to get it or be hurt by it is very low, right? And so the same thing is true for a lot of chronic illnesses is that like we get chronic illness and the reason why it, it shows up in certain areas is because that's the area that needs our attention, right? So there's a lot of, it's not that it's like, okay, just do your trauma work. Like you got to do your functional medicine work. You got to do your allopathic stuff. You have, those things are important, but it's the emotional components that we're missing, but we're starting to see it now. And so there's a direct correlation between those things. So that was a very long answer to your question, but I tried to give them as much context as I could. I want to take a second to go a little bit further into what you were just saying about, because let's face it, cancer affects so many of us and um, directly or indirectly. Um, well, I guess it could be all called directly if it's uh, someone sure. you care about. So uh, what when you say it's giving you a sign, and I and I truly believe, I look at disease and I look at, I look at, um, disease in the body disease or, or, um, issues as being, I'm thankful for the sign, right. Instead of just dropping dead, it's like, thanks for the warning. Right. right. So yeah, I, I try totally. to reframe it to, to be like a, it's a good alert system and now it's not pleasant, but dying is much worse. Give an example of a cancer situation and be like, okay, now you can see it came into this space, into this part of their body. This is what it's trying to tell your body's trying to tell you. Do you have a scenario? Sure. And just remember, I'm an, an MD, so which is not a medical doctor. 
Um, right. But what, here's what I can tell you. And I'm and, a double and <laughs> not a not a not a yeah. So um, yeah. so so here here's what's important to understand. Okay, so the major so we're talking cancer. So I have a uh, personal history with that, not in not for me personally, but people that I love have been through mm -hmm. very intense things, and we've seen some amazing things happen with them. Mm -hmm. So when you're addressing something like cancer or any chronic illness, there's multiple levels that it's wise to proceed on, right? So you want to proceed on the allopathic level, which is like go see you know an oncologist and get an opinion. It's just a freaking opinion, but do not ask for a prognosis because they are not God, right? So if someone says to you, oh, you have this many much months to live, like the answer you should put in your head is, yeah, with if I go with you, that's right. If I go with you, then I have six months to live, right? <laughs> but that is not true for everybody, right? So you want a diagnosis, not a prognosis, first and foremost, right? Because the fear mm -hmm. just makes it worse. Okay. Um, so you, but you want allopathic, right? You also then want, you know, functional medicine, which is looking at like, what's the root cause, what's happening in your body, right? Like in terms of your biomarkers and inflammation levels and, you know, all the different, you know, um, genetic testing that's available. You can get, you know, you can take cancer and get it genetically tested and see if there's different sequences and specific treatments for that specific cancer now, um, or clinical trials, um, Omnisec and different things like that. There's so many different places you can go. Um, so you want to do your functional approach. And then you want to do like more of a naturopathic approach too, where you're looking at like, you know, naturopathic oncology, which is a different opinion, right? You might be getting, I don't know, like, uh, like mistletoe imported from Canada because it helps with your immune system or things like that. Um, and then you want to look at the emotional level, right? And at the emotional level, it's like, can you actually build a relationship with cancer? Mm -hmm. Right, because it's in you as you now. There's, it's a part of you, right? So, like, can you build a, just like with any part? Can you build a part part of it with you? Um, and you also want to look at your environment, right? So, your environment is like, are there mold toxins? Are there issues in the environment that are like carcinogens and stuff like that? And you want to take a, a really full spectrum approach, right? And you want people on your team, whether it's cancer or someone else, who believe in full remission, right? Because hope is not doctors who say like you know, I don't want to give you false hope. They don't understand hope. Hope is binary. You either have hope or you don't have hope, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, there's no thing as false hope. False hope is bullshit. I can mm -hmm. say that, right? I can say bullshit. Yeah, you can say all the shit you and, want yeah, to say. And, okay, cool. And just like with, just like with uh, prescription medication, there's no such thing as side effects with prescription medication. There's effects. There are effects. And there's effects that the pharmaceutical company wants to highlight and there's totally. a downplay, but they're all the same effect, right? That's why um, glaucoma medicine became Latisse. Yeah, totally. Medicine intended <laughs> yeah. <it> <laughs> Totally. Yeah. It's all marketing, right? Um, I correct doctors all the time when they use the word side effect. Um, so you want to have a hope-filled team and you want to do your best to like regulate the people in your life and get support so that like, you know, it doesn't become this fear cluster of people around you and stuff like that. Um, but it's about developing the relationship. So, you know, I can think of people who, you know, I, it's hard to say like, where is the cancer and what is it specifically related to? You know, I would mm -hmm. defer to maybe like a Louise Hay book on that. Um, and also there's an incredible book called the healing power of illness. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of an old school book written by psychologists, but the assumption of that book, just like you just said, Danica, is that it can, you, you perceive symptoms of an illness as a message from your body that something needs attention. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's a brilliant book, but what I can tell you most of the time when I look at people who have had different types of cancers, right, is that um, there's a big self-sacrifice in the per cancer personality types where they tend, they not always, so we don't, we don't, it's not all or never, but on a spectrum, right, bell curve spectrum, a lot of people with cancer put themselves last or they've become invisible or they've deferred. Or they don't have a sense of internal sense of agency. And um, the cancer comes in as an opportunity to 
opportunity for them to like take charge of their healing, right? I think probably the best example of that is a woman named Chris Carr who wrote Crazy Sexy Cancer. Um, mm. And she basically talks about how she became the CEO of her health. And she talks about how, you know, all the doctors said, you know, she had lung cancer and all this stuff. And all the doctors said she had this much time to live. And she's like outpaced all of them by like decades plus. So I mean, she's, she, Chris Carr is an incredible human being. Um, and, you know, she did all the work that I just suggested and she still has it in her body, but she's living with it. She's living in an out, mostly alkaline state and she's doing her emotional work. But each, le- each, uh, chronic illness has a, a different purpose, right? If you think about diabetes, not type one, but di- type two diabetes and pre-diabetes, I would ask you like, what's not sweet about your life, right? Mm-hmm. What's like, what's missing? Cause you know, sugar <clears throat> is an analgesic that numbs pain. Um, it's people focus on sugar and dopamine, but it's really the analgesia and the, the pain numbing that's really important. Or like if you have endometriosis or something like that, it's like, what's not being born through you, right? Like, so yeah. things like that, because you want to look at that level. It's not the only level that you want to look at, but you want to look through those levels yeah. to understand like there's a there's there's more going on here than like an isis an itis or an otis or whatever, right? There's there's more happening totally. here than than just the diagnosis itself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely very Lewis Hay like, you know, looking at like where it's coming. If you, you know, you can't speak, it's like, what are you not saying? And yeah. if you have a sore throat, it's like, sorry, if you have a sore throat, it's like, what are you not saying? Things like that. It's like looking at the body as um, a roadmap, like to kind of like leading you to the space. Um, she had a huge data set, by the way. She worked with tens of thousands of people. I mean, there's a reason why you can hear your life sold like 40, 50 million copies, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I have it on my bookshelf. It's just yeah. a tiny little book, but it's basically like, you know, you put it, you look up your um, symptom and then it gives you a suggestion. And I hate it every time. I'm like, I, and Louise is a friend of mine before she passed. It was so sad, but I, from the grave, I'm like, God damn it, Louise. Like, ah, you're so right. You know, stop it. You know, <laughs> it's so simple, right? I mean, like life generally, I mean, I've, I've said this a few times lately. I tend to repeat a thought in my head until it's been vetted out until I come to some sort of conclusion on it. But um, that life is life is like really simple because it's kind of all information about ourselves. That's right. Everything through That's everything. So true. Yeah. through everything. And so, but yet it's complicated because we can't see ourselves. Yes. So it's kind oh, of like uh, my friend said, um, her and her daughter were having a conversation and she's like, her daughter's really pretty spiritual for her age, for sure. She's just like 12. Um, but she was wow. talking to her daughter about insecurity and she goes, mom, she's like, you don't, you can't, you can't see yourself in 3d. You don't know how you move and how you look. And he, she's like, you only Whoa. see yourself in 2d. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's so brilliant. Profound. Like, found. Wow. Right? You never, wow. like, we never see ourselves in 3D to know how we navigate the world and how we look and how we feel. And, you know, so um, anyway, is that it's all information about us and that we need other people in other situations, call it a disease, call it a person, a relationship, a promotion, a firing, a breakup, whatever it is, true love. We need all these things to see ourselves That's because right. we can't see ourselves. Like it has to continue to be reflected back through all these other mediums. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, I think the beauty in it, you know, one of the, cause I, I, I think one of my favorite topics to talk about is relationships because they're so um, complicated and funny if you look at it a certain way, but also so painful and awful, but also so beautiful and amazing. Um, and I think one of the biggest misnomers is that people think that, you know, for example, in a relationship, I just heard this with a client like the other day, you know, um, 
the, they were dating this woman was dating this guy and they were getting closer and closer and closer and taking their time and then they you know slept together and then he like had a freak out and was like oh my god i just realized all this stuff is coming up and i have to go do the work on my own and i'm like amateur move nope that's not how it works because the purpose of relationship like you get traumatized in relationship it's the vessel for healing too right you don't heal on your own so this whole idea to love myself before i get into a relationship is nonsense avoidant bullshit right oh my god preach okay. and riff go <laughs> on a tangent i'm ready for it i'm here because for it. yeah because the healing is through the relationship right it's through the relationship and so the i've said this a bunch and i think it's so important you know obviously what's the purpose of relationship well in 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 evolutionary biology it's obviously procreation and safety and numbers right for mammals mm -hmm. we get along in numbers right and then you talk about okay then we're gonna like maybe help each other like amplify our purpose and like each mm -hmm. of us will have a bigger future together right cool awesome um okay romance cool passion cool check awesome we got all the good stuff maybe uh shared financial burdens cool awesome right great awesome but the real juice in relationship is twofold one is to be a caretaker and i use that word intentionally if you don't like the fact that i'm using this word because some people like caretaker oh my god look up the definition before you go further okay um to become a caretaker of each other's traumatic parts right that is a not the therapist not a mom not a dad but to understand at like a very profound level what someone's pain is like what is their pain and mm -hmm. then to intentionally do shit to help that not happen and to like help to like make it better for that person in that area and to have that be mutually reciprocal so some people will say to me mastin that's crazy i do that but i'm in the relationship with a narcissist and they don't do that i'm like no you're not getting it it has to be reciprocal right it can't just be one way okay so if you know, by the way if you know that you're in a relationship with a narcissist what's your part in that get out of that relationship okay like knock it off like get out right um, but it's about having mutually reciprocal regulation so that the relationship becomes a place to regulate and to feel better rather than a place to escape from and avoid, right? It's like the opposite of what we've been taught. So is this co-regulation versus codependency? Yes, exactly. Yes. Thank you for saying that. That is so accurately clinical. So I love that. That's beautiful. They're your words, my friend. I know, but okay, that's true. Okay. But you said it and <laughs> you okay. Know. Yeah. Well, you, you said it and that's really good. You, you, just, you just mirrored me, which is beautiful. So that, that maybe that's why I liked it so much, but, but so here's the second part. Okay. And so like one, you want to understand like, okay, this is this person's trauma. Here's the things that help them regulate and vice versa. And I'm feeling reciprocation here, but the second part, and this is the hard part. Okay. And I think if I was like a guardian angel, like I would set life up this way just to be entertained by like the reality show called earth. Right. Like, cause there's just so many things happening and it's just like, that is a, what's happening right? I think, by the way. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, let's just keeping up with earth. Let's just see how it's going down there. Right. I imagine that there's people up there with popcorn. To totally. Say, oh, can you believe that? Whoa, an idiot. You know, like, yeah, totally. it's so silly. They don't see yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, so, so this is what I think keeps the guardian angels amused, right. Is, is, um, most people, um, we'll say we shouldn't be together because we want different things, right? And that, Danica, is an, also an amateur move, okay? The reason why you shouldn't be together is because you don't know how to do different things together. <laughs> and there's a big difference because it's the things we have in common that attract us to each other, and it's our differences that grow us right? Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing how to be different and together 
is like the master skill in relationship. And it is so hard because Mm -hmm. the way the world works is we pull in our mirror who has something that we're missing. Mm -hmm. And that initially makes it very exciting for us. But over time, it will dysregulate us because Mm -hmm. it starts to repeat old patterns unless we learn differentiation, which is how can I be my full self and my different self and really embody what I'm learning from this other person into my own being so that they're, they're a place where I can go to regulate, a place where I go to be safe and awesome. But I have my own life, my own boundaries, my own purpose, and we are different together. And the key skill set in that is knowing how to navigate the tension of being different. And most people have no clue how to do that because all these automatic patterns are coming up. Um, and it is beautiful on the other side of that kind of, um, that kind of growth because you, know, you resolve things from childhood, you amplify your purpose, but then you can like, be your own self and neither party has to collapse. Because usually if one party takes up all the space, another party that's kind of collapsing in a relationship, right? And the I, most ideal relationship is both parties are like the light. Both parties, it's kind of like in chemistry, they're called eczemers, uh, noble gases where they're mm. balanced, right? They're not trying to attract a negative or a positive, like you know, negative and positive come together. Noble gases or eczemers are completely balanced and they don't attract negatives or positive because they're balanced. And the only way for like a, a noble gas like neon to be able to merge with another noble gas is they have to b- become light together, right? Which mm. is why neon signs light up, right? Because they're temporarily mm. merging. So to me, it's like an eczemer vibe where it's like for us to actually be together, we both have to step into our light. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, I think so too, right? I want but like art made stuff. out of that. that yeah, looks, totally. That needs to become art. Yeah, I'm actually going to get here, regulate a neon sign, which is kind of cheesy, but because it's like what it means beneath what it says. Yeah. It's going to say manifesting magic, but it's neon. And the neon represents kind of eczemers, which is like basically okay. two balanced beings coming together to make light, which I think is like so cool, you know? So cool. And they <laughs> have to be light. That's beautiful. Okay, so... I have a couple questions around that. So in relationship, that's funny. I didn't think we'd go in the relationship direction. With oh, I love talking about relationships. Love it. Um, I mean, that's where the most of the dysregulation shows up. I mean, so it's, it's, it's our deepest, most vulnerable spaces. So that's it really right. like, it's where we squeeze the most is where we take things the most personally. It's where we're the most triggered. And we just generally spend the most time there. That's right. Um, so, yes. so I'm fascinated by the idea of like how, um, like, so when you attract a partner and you, I've heard that it's your initial feeling with that person, the initial chemistry or connection that tends to be the indicator of your uh, compatibility uh, and that it's over time lost to things like you just spoke about. But that initial is, is, is a big indicator is do you, have you heard anything about that? Do you know anything about that? Does that make sense or is that just not true? Well, ah, it's such a great question. Um, it's great. And also a gray zone because, um, for example, I work with mostly women. Okay. So just so we're really clear from a diverse background, six foot five white guy from Kansas, DuPont family history, okay, working with diverse groups of women of all colors and and sexual orientations, right? So who am I to talk? I just have data sets. That's all I'm talking about, right? Um, What I know, and I know this like I know, like I know, like I know, okay, is that female, whether or not you identify as one, but just your neuroanatomy as being born a female, okay, female intuition is so 
dialed. Okay. It is <laughs> so dialed. When I work with my heterosexual male clients, I'm like, all right, guys, here's the deal. You need to behave as if everything you're doing, she knows exactly what you're doing because she does. Okay. You just, just, let's just start with that assumption. Okay. Let's just start right there. And it like kind of blows their mind. Um, and some like, Oh my God, you're so right. Right. So I think if you're able to be in a regulated state, because a lot of times you meet someone, there's butterflies, there's like sexual stuff happening. There's so many things that's happening or flirting. When do I text? When do I not text? There's all this stuff that's happening, right? It's all like confusing and you get very like heady and like, when should I text and do I do an emoji or not? I don't like all that stuff starts to happen, right? Uh, how long do I wait? Should I wait? Do I, oh, is it too much? Is it not enough? Like all the, all that stuff, you're not paying attention to what your intuition's saying, <laughs> right? Um, and so the women that I've worked with, doesn't matter how they identify in terms of their sexual identity or expression or preference, um, when we get into things like betrayal or relationships not working out and we go back and we get really still, your initial intuitive hit is spot on, spot on. Now that's probably true for most guys too. Our intuitions are a little bit more sort of, I don't know, blunted. Um, we're a little bit more, you know, I mean, we, have, we definitely have intuition, but it's just not as like refined as uh, female intuition. Um, it's just how it is. It's just, that's just how it works in neuroanatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the problem is, is that you get all this other stuff that starts to come up. That's like very powerful biochemistry. So you might have a, for example, a first impression where your biochemistry is like, this guy's just like my abusive father. It feels like home, but your intuition is like, nah, girl, this is toxic. Oh, f- shut up, shut up. We're going to, we're going to move forward. Right. Cause we're going to, this is exciting and fun or whatever. Right. So when you talk about your initial impression, right. It's like, well, what part of we are you, are we talking about? Right. If mm-hmm. we're talking about butterflies and biochemistry, you know, um, that's not an indicator of long-term relationship health. Like just because you have good chemistry doesn't mean anything because good chemistry is not what creates a long-term relationship. You can build good chemistry over time because if you have a friendship first, if you have an emotional connection first, if you have emotional safety first, you can learn the, what other people, the other person needs in terms of whatever their buttons are that pushes their chemistry a certain way. Um, and sometimes initial chemistry can just be like an automatic familiar trauma response from the past. And sometimes it's very healthy, right? So th- it, there's no like right or wrong answer, but what you want to try to get at and sort of like what I tell people when it comes to dating, right? It's like, if you're interested in someone or pursuing somebody, or you're kind of in that in-between phase, you don't make a move. I don't care one day, two day, three day, 10 days, however long, whatever the dating, ex- who cares about dating experts and all that stuff, who cares? Until you're in a state where you feel clear about what you're going to do and you're not operating from like, oh my God, I need to respond or uh, (gasps) butterflies, right? Or any of that stuff, right? Until you're like really clear on like what you want to say and like it's coming from like a really solid place, do not respond, (laughs) okay? Like slow it down, right? What's the rush, right? And I actually think it's important in new relationships to like have that magnetism happen where you slow things down because a lot of times it can be a trauma response to rush into relationship too fast and not pay attention to the signals that your body's giving you, right? Um, and especially when it comes to women because you know women traditionally haven't been treated too good by the patriarchy. So they've learned over time, women have learned over time that like what they're feeling and thinking is not important, doesn't matter and isn't true when it's super important, really matters and is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's a little bit more nuanced than what you said. And I hope that was helpful. Um, maybe it was too long. No, that answer. was incredible. <laughs> As again, every answer is incredible. Um, I want to go more into a little bit of 
part of that. But before, before I get there, I want to ask about, you know, it feels like there's a possibility that you could kind of, you know, as Abraham Hicks would say, you could essentially put your attention on anything positive about somebody and make them the right person, right? Like oh, you, for can, sure, yeah. you can use anyone as your reason for happiness um, based on what you put your perspective, put your attention on. Um, so are there generally though, given the fact that we have, we are attracting mirrors to see things about ourselves to heal, are there people that are meant to be temporary or transitory as opposed to forever? Like, is that, is that part of the journey of being a human is going through? It's, it's like they serve a purpose. You serve a purpose for each other. Um, and, and, and then it's time to move on. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think like, okay. So real quick, I, by the way, I love the law of attraction. I have Mm -hmm. asking is given. I've read it a million times. Um, and when we look through the lens of and basically law of attraction is just goal setting is basically what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, right. And it's, and it's combined with emotional state focus, which is important. Um, but when we talk about attraction, like we're attracting things, I like to say, okay, let's pause on the word attraction. Cause attracting is like, takes away your agency. Like I had no partner. I just attracted it. I don't know what happened. The universe just attracted it. Right. I like to replace attracting with choosing because you have a part in it, right? You can attract something and say, no. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important to understand. So, so I like to kind of put the word choosing in there when it comes to what you're talking about, like transitional relationships. Yeah. I absolutely think, especially if you've been like in a long-term intense relationship, right. And then you break up um, and you have someone who's there for you either platonically as a friend uh, or as something, even as a romantic partner. And you might even know that they're not the right person. Right. But you know that like right now it's, more dysregulating for me to be alone. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of have this as like a methadone, right? To kind of come off this and kind of have it be like a step down. Totally. That is something that can happen and is completely healthy. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The only thing I will tell you is this. Okay. Um, Because I understand neurochemistry, right? When a woman, okay. When a woman has sex and it could be with a man or or woman, it doesn't matter. Okay. When a woman has sex, so much oxytocin is released, okay? And oxytocin bonds can last up to two to three years with somebody, okay? Um, and so it's not that you shouldn't have sex with somebody if you're a woman. I'm not saying that at all. You're, you can be as empowered as you want to be sexually, and there's no judgment around that. I have zero judgment around it. I think the more sexually empowered a woman is, the better. I think it's super healthy to ex- ex- express sexually. And you just have to understand what's happening biochemically in your body when certain things happen. And unfortunately, uh, the evolutionary biology for female, if you look at the in traditional evolution, evolution, right, the biological purpose of a female is to produce one child per year, right? So like the female body is wired to bond more intensely than the male body, which is wired to procreate all over the place, right? Like Because we want, because we live in times where your kids may not live, right? So like there's a, there's a purpose there of, of why we're wired differently. So the biochemical consequences of a woman sleeping with someone is just different than the way that a man is when they sleep with someone. So if you're willing to take the risk and live the consequence, then that's all good too. But, and again, it's not judgment. I'm just giving you biochemistry, right? So mm-hmm. that someone can make an active choice. And my typical rule is my rule that I advise my clients, if you're looking for a good time or a transitory time, then like be free with yourself. Just understand what's happening in your body and be willing to take the risks. 
because it will feel like you're coming off a drug if it stops. Okay. Just like if you go on a sugar binge, you're going to have, you're going to have like that or heroin binge or whatever you alter your biochemistry in a big way. You're going to have a withdrawal phase, but if you're looking for a soulmate, right? If you're looking for a person who's like your person, my suggestion, and I get, I get, I get backlash for this because it seems like old school patriarchal, but it's not, it's actually biochemical is do not have sex with someone until you have a monogamous commitment. If, if you're looking for a soulmate, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's so much that gets, you talk about like not missing, like missing your body signals. There is so much to get confused when like you just have the rush of oxytocin, dopamine, neuroepinephrine, like all the dopamine, all the stuff just starts to kind of go crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can really miss a lot of signals and, it ha- and, and those bonding chemicals are just more intense for the female body than the male body based on evolutionary biology. This is not 1950s. I'm not trying to make it some like old school thing. It's just the scientific data, right? Um, and so that's what I typically advise my clients. Um, and sometimes it can feel good to have someone that with your intense relationship that you want to be with that person for a few months or a year or whatever, as you kind of come off and maybe both of, you know, it's not gonna be a long-term thing. And when it stops, there will be withdrawal. So just mm. know that, 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 I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, yeah. that's, what the, that's what the, that's what the biochemistry says. Hmm. Well, I think this is a good way to pull it back into the body and go into the, you know, your famous line, the issues are in the tissues <laughs> and the fascia and, you know, everything from like massage, somatic, some, I've had somatic experiences within massage using oh, yeah. audible just sounds um, to, you know, like I was fascinated to hear about you talk about how there's a somatic response in REM sleep. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Um, acupuncture, all of these things. Like I think, you know, explaining taking a trauma and then going down the line of the, of the path of the trauma to manifest in to the body and like how, what actually is going on from a physical, on a physical level. Yeah. What you're describing, right. Are three of my favorite words, mechanisms of action, right? Those are my three favorite words because mechanisms of action. If you just Google cancer quotes, mechanisms of action or whatever in quotes, mechanisms of action, you're going to pull up a lot of data that basically shows you what happens physiologically in the body when certain things happen, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what's the mechanism of action for a drug or for a disease or for whatever. And I spend a lot of time focused on mechanisms because I like to understand what's happening. But at the end of the day, like you said, you have to have the experience of it. You have to embody Mm -hmm. it. But there, I do believe there should be some psychoeducation and cognitive awareness around the mechanisms, because when you understand the mechanisms in your body, it also de-shames the process because a lot of people take on the identity of shame. And you know, if they get, even if they get like a diagnosis, they're like, oh my God, I am PTSD, not I have it, right? It goes, becomes their identity yeah. versus like, well, actually you had uh, chronic neglect growing up, which uh, oriented your nervous system this way. And then you went through this specific adverse event. And then because of that, because you entered into it with a certain belief about yourself, it reinforced that belief on a very important level. And then you created this like fractured 14 year old part of yourself that lives in your gut. And it was so painful that uh, you basically protected yourself from that part. So you don't even know it's there. And then, then that part was like running the show. And then all these things didn't happen as a result of that. And, you know, you chose these relationships and this type of food and these types of places to be in. And, you know, 30 years later, here we are. Right. Um, that's not really an identity. That's just like, Look how resilient you are to get through all that. And like, if we can understand all those mechanisms and start to have mm-hmm. corrective action, you know, we can make it better. But I think one of the biggest, I don't know, issues with, 
And it's not the it's not mental health care's fault, but people take an I, I, a diagnosis and create an identity out of it. Um, and that is not a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what you just said is so true because there are so many things that happen when trauma happens. But the thing that's most interesting is that if a trauma happens, whether someone has post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress is determined by what was the quality of their relationships and nervous system going into the event? And then what was the quality of the relationships and nervous system after the event, right? So if something was swept under the rug, you're going to have a very different response than if it was embraced, discussed, and and loved and cared for, right? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, and there's so much that happens in the body with the immune system and the nervous system. And and, I mean, the endocrine system, there's so many things that start to happen depending on what happens in the environment, right? And in our relationships. And it absolutely is in the body. You know, I've, I've had so many clients uh, when we get into fascial work, like I've watched them, like I watched their fascia and I watched them move and they literally recreate the positions that traumatize them. Like in front of me, we do this all the time. Mm. The difference is they're able to have a completion where they can say stop or they're able to get up and they're able to move. They're able to ha- do something different because the fascia doesn't want you to go back into the same position that traumatized mm-hmm. you. Right. And so it mm-hmm. tries to get you to never go to that position again. But if you can go back to that position and then break that pattern safely, you can have a lot of amazing changes because the fascia is super smart and super wise. It communicates faster than the nervous system. But um, yeah, there's a lot of mechanisms in there. <laughs> so many mechanisms. What about the cells? I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated to, you know, have this sort of belief or, under, or you know, growing understanding for uh, trauma on a cellular level, oh, ancestral, yeah. ancestral trauma. Oh. in the cells. And please explain that because. Yeah. Well, it makes it's, sense. It's like, the, it's an invisible passenger, right? It like, sure how do is. I know what oh, happened? You know what I mean? But it, things can be holding you back. And, and so if this is a real thing now, all of a sudden this becomes the checklist of what do we, where do I go to find a solution? Totally. If this becomes a more common understanding. Definitely. Yeah. Um. So like, if you think, if you just, let's just, let's just like, we, there's so much data to back up what you just said, but let's just think common sense for a second. Okay. Like evolution is the continuing process of pattern recognition being turned into DNA and cellular information over time, right? Because we're experiencing more and more of data of what's happening in the world. And then that orients into our epigenetic expression, which is how our body uniquely expresses its genes, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the reproductive process, there's a whole field of psychology called perinatal psychology, which is like in the womb psychology. Mm -hmm. You know, the baby is being bathed in all kinds of information about the environment Mm -hmm. it's about to be born into. Right. So that when it comes out, it's like prepared to survive. That makes a ton of sense. Right. And then if you add on top of that, this is always mind blowing. The egg that you were made from in your mother's womb was made in her mother's womb. So like you're kind of your grandmother in a way, right? Which is like so trippy to think about, right? So like not only does epigenetic information get passed down from one generation to the next so that we can better navigate the environment, but like literally like part of you is like two generations ago, right? Like fractal. Totally. Is everything in the universe fractal. I'm beginning Probably. to think it's just all freaking fractal. I, am, I interviewed Nassim Haramine and um, we talked about fractals and it's just like the most fascinating thing between Probably. this realm of conversation and science and quantum science and physics oh, is like <laughs> my jam. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, quantum is, if you think about quantum for a second, right? Like quantum. Um, so like, I, okay, we'll go there for a second. I don't want to go. I don't want to get off topic. I'm just, no, because it's, 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 well, it's related. It's related. Right. So like, okay. if you think about um, like traumatic memory, right. Or if you think about traumatic or emotional or just any emotional state, whether it's traumatic or not. Right. I'm getting to a point. This is me. This is me hypothesizing. Okay. This is not like data. I'm starting to believe that like traumatic memory and emotions of all kinds are actually fields, just like you have a gravitational field or you have mm -hmm. a electromagnetic field, right? I believe mm -hmm. there's like an emotional field. Um, and that field uh, impacts your physiology, right? And then it, that impacts the physiology of the people around you. And so that's why like generational trauma can get kind of passed down because you're basically mm -hmm. vibrating together in a certain field. And that's why when you go on a healing journey, you can feel like you're going to be abandoned because you're creating this whole new energy pattern, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. problem with a lot of the quantum approaches, and by the way, I have so much respect for Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. He doesn't understand trauma. He tries to make you have an emotion that's greater than the trauma mm -hmm. emotion, which is yeah. not really the goal. We want to like embrace it, befriend it, and then we can go to elevated states. Um, but his work is genius. It just, it, it, we, the, if it was trauma informed, it would over be. That. He totally is, skips yeah. over that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have, by the way, he doesn't have to be trauma informed, right? But, but his work, like when you go quantum, like with his work, right? You're trying mm -hmm. to create these new fields in your body. You're trying to create this new body, mm -hmm. this new emotional state, right? The problem mm -hmm. is, is that the survival, because he's like, even in some of his meditations, he starts at the heart and goes up. I'm like, what about one, two, and three? You know, like, what about the survival stuff, right? It's a one, <laughs> four, and seven, a lot of, I mean, I yeah. went to a week-long Joe Dispenza retreat last year, or yeah, at the beginning of this year, or last year, and, um, you, you know, 100%, there's, there's chakras that are missed. Like, yeah, it's just, totally. it's just bouncing. Yeah. And that's, by the way. I'm not dodging it or dissing him. I have tremendous respect for him. Just like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins isn't trauma informed either, right? But what he does is genius, right? Yeah. Um, and so like the idea is, is that like these, these survival fields, these trauma fields are way more powerful than like, you know, trying to go quantum. And I've had clients who have, you know, gone to places like that, gone super expansive, but their survival responses pull them back into their body and they don't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's literally like breaking up the fascia, breaking up the pattern, but most importantly, befriending it and actually like turning towards it and going, Hey, like, how's it going? What, what are you all about in there? Right. Um, and learning more about those parts, because um, when we discount those parts, um, that's when the hard stuff starts to happen. Um, but, but I believe that those are all, I believe it's all fields. I think it's all, there's all electromagnetic energy there, 100%. Um, and it's very difficult to grow your energy field when you're in a dysregulated energy field. That, that's another way to put it. Um, yeah. And I believe that because we live in limitless, po limitless possibility that like you can have incredible rapid uh, integration from trauma. And we're seeing that now with like the psycho, uh, the MDMA map studies and stuff like that. Like people are integrating at really beautiful levels. But it's because they're befriending their trauma, not because they're trying to grow bigger than it, right? Like that, yeah. there's a big difference in those in that in that distinction right there. Well, I feel like one is, uh, you know, going into the trauma and looking at it, talking to it, alchemizing it is the healing, is the is the is the getting to the root and 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 pulling it out by the root or alchemizing the event, um, and I think other forms if you skip over that it doesn't mean you don't feel better it just means that there's a chance that you might not feel good again this is very nuanced i think this is the thing it's like the word like worse you know especially you speaking a language that that's why i had you describe the word trauma just because it until you've been into this work long enough you hear trauma and you're like i don't have trauma 
Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many people I talk to, like close to me that would, you know, say it's like, nothing's wrong with me. I don't have anything wrong. I don't need to see a therapist. I'm like, oh my God, everybody has <laughs> so trauma. True. I would just, you know, my favorite thing to do with th- things like that is start with symptoms. It's like, do you have depression, anxiety, insecurity, perfectionism, procrastination, self-doubt, mm-hmm. uh, ADD, uh, dramatic relationships? You know, like, do you have a hard mm-hmm. time being alone? Right? Like, if we go down that list, you have a hard time achieving mm-hmm. goals. Like, do you put yeah. yourself aside? Like, it's sometimes good when when the problem is not understood, right? Is to start with symptoms, and then go. The likelihood that that's a trauma response is very high, right? Yeah. Um, and so I like to start with symptoms first a lot of times because you know, yeah, people I don't have trauma, and they're right. They don't have, maybe they don't have uh, wartime PTSD or they didn't have some type of you know abuse in their history. A lot of people did, but some people some people don't, right? But doesn't mean there's not trauma there. Right. It just, it's a, it is very nuanced. Um, and it's even more nuanced when you start talking about like what's your skin color, what's your sexual identity, what's your orientation, um, you know, and, and like what are your biases based on like my white body color and stuff like that, how I see the world. Like race was never an issue for me and my privilege. Like it gets so nuanced the more that you get into it. And the issue that I have with a lot of the ways that the, con- the trauma informed conversations are emerging is that there's this expectation of perfectionism to like get it right, like to be the right white ally or to be the right type of, you know, uh, whatever, right? And like the truth of just about racism is that it is a cancer that needs to be eradicated from the world, but we have not solved the problem in 400 years, okay? It is not solved. And so I think that what's important right now when we talk about a trauma-informed approach is to make it a discussion where there's room for questions and messing up and not understanding and learning about each other's perspectives. And the problem Mm -hmm. I have with like really extreme cancel culture is that it actually negates the very evolution they're trying to produce and with what they value because, you know, um, it's not something that uh, includes a conversation. It's like, I need you to do it in this very specific way that mm. I have not actually defined in any way that could be followed. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to cancel you, right? And that approach is not an approach that will be effective. It might feel empowering in the moment. It might feel like you have agency in the moment, but it won't create long-term change. Um, and so it's very important to understand that like racism, me too, consent, Uh, go down the list of the important social justice issues. When you take a trauma-informed approach, everything becomes so nuanced and complex like you wouldn't believe, right? Um, And so I think it's important to have the conversation, to slow the conversation down, to be as curious as you can, and to for sure understand, and especially someone like me, I'm going to mess up. Like I'm not going to be the best white ally at times. I'm not going to be the best indigenous ally at times. I'm not going to be the best ally for the gay community or LGBTQI plus community at times, right? I'm not going to get all the nuances all the time. And yeah, why? Because I'm white and I have whiteness, right? And I don't know, right? But demonizing that and demonizing someone who's trying to try it, you could call it white fragility. I think everyone has a sensitivity to it. Nobody wants to hurt somebody else. And yes, there is white fragility, but I just think that the perfectionism of how advocacy is supposed to happen, the expectation of that negates the outcome, right? Whether it's uh, a social justice issue or whether it's trying to talk about trauma because the last thing you want to do in a relationship is say, well, that's just your trauma talking. 
right? Like it's, 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 we have to have a completely different type of conversation when it comes to taking a trauma-informed approach and it requires a lot more exhaling, a slower breath and a, a calmer. Yeah. Nervous I want system, you to be you know? explain more. I'm trying, like, what do you mean to have a trauma-informed approach to a social dynamic or a situation other than saying, Oh, that's trauma. That, that kind of is what comes to mind for me. Like there's just trauma. So what do you mean to have a trauma informed approach? Sure. So, so look, there's different types of, of human beings, right? So I'm not talking about, um, you know, I'm not talking about like George Floyd doing something differently, right? Like what happened to him is fucked up, awful. And it's unfortunately being repeated so many times. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's, it's disgusting and it, it drives me nuts. Like what happened to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings was disgusting. Okay. It was awful. Um, like the, there were, the, her stuff was so legit in terms of the nature of traumatic memory and how it works. And the fact that they brought in a trauma expert to discount that, like just made me want to vomit regardless of political. Right. So what we have to understand is that when you're in an adverse population and you're don't have equity, meaning you don't have the same advantages of other people, and there's not equality, you're not treated the same way, it's unrealistic to expect marginalized populations who are basically chronically dysregulated to behave in regulated ways when they're experiencing trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma, okay? It's not fair, okay? What I'm talking about is the leaders of uh, social justice movements and the leaders in the psychotherapy movements and leaders in mental health who are trauma-informed, right? Who are guiding the conversation in their various different groups of, of different, uh, very important um, social work, right? We have to ask a question, right? Me too, now what? Black Lives Matter, now what? What's the now what? And to me, the now what is let's break the cycle. Let's break the cycle, right? Nuts, like, yes, Black Lives Matter. Yes, that's yes, 100%. It needs to be said. It should never not be said. But like the elevated vision is how the fuck do we make it stop? Right. And it's right. like that's called cycle breaking. And cycle breaking is so nuanced, Danica. It is so nuanced and so difficult because it involves everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Behaving differently eventually. And so um, we have to start to understand that there is whiteness, there is white privilege. We got to do our white body work. We got to understand all the patriarchal stuff. We all have to understand colonialism and all those things. And those have to be acknowledged. And we're making actually really good progress right now with reparations and this current administration, which is like so cool to have that start to happen. Um, and what I know, regardless of what group of people you happen to identify with or what your skin color is, we all have the same type of nervous system. And the nervous system doesn't know when the war is over, when the war is over right? Like just look at all the veterans that come back from war, right? So what does cycle breaking look like, right? And like, I don't have the answer to that. But what I know is, is that the leaders of the groups uh, who there should be a higher expectation of, right? Because they're the leader, right? Of whatever the group is, we need to collectively come up with a new map for how to stop this shit. Um, and yes, acknowledgement of the trauma is so important. Like for someone to be able to say, me too, like whenever somebody comes out and says, I'm a survivor, like that is a heroic, incredible, powerful, important moment to have your trauma validated, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. When you like say whosoever is unfortunately the name of the day of someone who's being killed today by police, their name should never be stopped being said, 
right? But we also want to look at how the fuck do we make it stop, right? And I don't have the answer, but I know it's nuanced. And what I know for sure is if you look at the work of Dr. Bruce Perry, he talks about you need to do it in this order. Any, any relationship, you have to regulate your nervous system first. Then you have to build a relationship and then you reason. With your build a relationship with your body, with, with your, yourself, with, with yourself, with the, but with, with the other the person, with, with the other oh. person too. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you regulate, make sure you come into a reg- you're in a regulated sure. state. Then you build a relationship, both from a regulated state, and then you reason. You could use executive function to like figure stuff out, mm-hmm. right? In that order. But if you go straight to reason, but you're dysregulated and don't have a good relationship, nothing's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be the perpetual cycle process, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like again, I don't. I, I'm not claiming to have answers. I'm just reporting on neuroscience and talking about how nuanced these topics are. Um, but I would like to see the conversation evolve into like. Me too being a catalyst for it to fucking stop, right? Not just let's continue power dynamics with a different terms in Hollywood now or whatever, right? And like for Black Lives Matter to end police violence, right? Like that's what has to happen, right? We want to stop this nonsense. And it's like, well, what has to happen for that to happen? I don't know. But I know if we can regulate and co-regulate and we can build relationship and have dignity in those relationships, and then we can make some really good choices, right? That's how the nervous system works. And that's like neurosequential sequencing. Dr. Bruce Perry just wrote a book with Oprah about trauma. Like he knows what he's talking about, right? Um, and, and that would be the approach. And it's so nuanced because here's the thing. We're, we're, because we're solving, starting to you know, solve this problem more explicitly now, there's like new patterns and new things that we're gonna have to identify that we didn't know. Like Jessica Mann, who's a client of mine, who's an incredible human being, and she's let me talk about it publicly. She was on trial with Harvey Weinstein for three days. And it's her testimony that put him behind bars. Okay. And she came to me to work on trauma afterwards. And it was like an honor of my lifetime to work with her. But she is such a powerful soul. And the reason why Harvey Weinstein is behind bars is because Jessica, however, I still don't understand, okay, was able to stay regulated and be so articulate in describing the nuance of their power dynamics that she actually created new case law in New York state, defining a new type of predator. Right. And so like that didn't happen before Jessica Mann. Now, after Jessica Mann, there's this whole new definition of something. So that Mm -hmm. is going to continue to happen as we have more nuanced conversations about things like power dynamics between, you know, consent and sex and power and money and stuff like that relationships, racism, all the different things. There's going to be a whole new vocabulary that we get to create together, right? Yeah. It doesn't exist yet. It doesn't exist well, yet. It makes me, as you were talking about like creating these social dynamics and, and patterns and culture that are, that, that need to need to change. Like how do we actually change something? It makes me want to ask if you think that, because I've, I mean, you know, there are quotes from famous people that are, if you want to change a system, you don't try and fix the old one. You start a new one. Sure. And I think, I mean, that's Bucky Fuller. Love Bucky Fuller, right? Bucky Fuller said the way to change a system is you don't argue with it. You make a new system that makes the old system obsolete. And I would start with your nervous system, <laughs> right? Mm. Like, like that's the system I would start it's with. Always right? an inside job, Mastin. <laughs> it it's is. always an inside it job. Is. It is. Yeah, because it's like anything in life, right? I don't care what it is. It's about your approach, right? Like, like think about it, right? Think about it, right? Like, I coach guys on, like, how to flirt without being me too basically. And it's very simple right? It's so simple. It's your approach, right? 
and here it is. If you're a heterosexual guy looking for a heterosexual relationship and you're worried about all that stuff, don't touch her first. Let her touch you first. Tell her what you're thinking and feeling. Don't just behave on it. Like have an explicit conversation about what's happening inside your body, right? That's a change in your approach. And amazingly, women are receptive to that most of the time, right? I want you to write a book called how to be a man. <laughs> okay. All right, right, there's right. good men out there. There are definitely good Absolutely. men. Absolutely. But I think but it's a, like the, the, the there's there almost needs to be a new book for it these for days. For sure. But I think there's a lot of guys who are really amazing who yeah. are scared to engage because like they're like, what's the difference between sexual misconduct and flirting? Right. It's like, well, that's by the way, when was that question asked before? Like we've never asked that question before. It's right. so good that we're asking that question. Right, right. right. Like, and in fact, it's the ones it. that are actually aware that they don't want to screw up that probably aren't going to screw up. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. But but there needs to be a step-by-step process, right? And, and that's what I mean is that like, what's the difference between flirting and sexual misconduct? Like, cool. Like, let's define that. Like, how do we define the racial gaps in our country? And by the way, there's a different experience. I have clients that are like, uh, African-American black who are like black, like they're black clients, right? Then I have like mixed clients who are partially white, partially black. So they have lighter skin tone. They have a completely different experience if you're mixed than if you're black versus if you're white, right? And so like, the when did we have these nuanced conversations, right? Because I've had uh, clients of mine who are mixed and they're not quite black enough for their black friends and they're not quite white enough for their white friends. So there's a whole other conversation, right? So to me, it's like, how the hell are we going to figure out all this stuff ahead of time before we get into the messy conversation to make this whole new vocabulary come through, right? Emotional like, regulation from the exactly, start. Exactly, right? It's, it's, you got to have a regulated approach, right? And that's very difficult because we haven't solved these problems, like I said, in like 400 years. So is this what you would say in using more of your words? Because again, I know your work. Um, the difference between emotional intelligence and emotional fitness Yes. That's so good that you love. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. So cool. Um, yeah. So emotional intelligence is just, you know, understanding what to do. It's more cognitive, right? Emotional mm-hmm. fitness is like the embodiment of it. And by the way, just so we're clear, we're talking about some of the hardest stuff in the world, right? Like solving racism, solving mm-hmm. patriarchy, solving colonialism, differentiating in relationships. Like this is like some of the hardest problems. Like you can get to Mars easier than you can do these things. Okay. Literally. Okay, because we've already gone to Mars, right? (laughs) Right, Um, Exactly. By the way, dear Elon Musk, please do not send anybody with unresolved trauma to another planet. (laughs) Let's not spread human trauma to make that interplanetary. We need to have some type of like litmus test for like who can leave planet Earth. Shit, you know that's not possible, Mastin, because they won't be human then because every human's got it. He's got to send dogs or something. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but there needs the the regulated nervous system is really what it's about. And that's really about being seen and known and heard. And and it's a skill set that we're learning. And it's a whole new, like to me, what we're talking about is to social justice and mental health. Like what Einstein was the physics, like it's a quantum leap, literally, mm. right? Because it's a whole new approach to understanding things. Um, and I know a lot of really well-intended white people, they're terrified to even like support Black Lives Matter, not because they're going to get shit about it from their white friends, but because they don't want to seem performative. But I'm like, guys, like, like, let's just help. Let's, we just need to just like get in the conversation. Like, let's get in the conversation. Like, don't let the fear of cancel move on like like stop you like let's get in the conversation let's make it happen you don't want to say the wrong thing so sometimes you just don't say anything at all you know exactly and i think that like that's the part that i want to bust up because it's like in a relationship right like saying nothing is sometimes the worst thing to do like at least you're trying to attempt connection totally right 
Um, and by the way, I have by the way, I have stepped on my pail. I'm not sure what to say how to put it. So many times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've stepped on my dick. That's funny. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I've stepped on my dick many times when it comes to these types of things. Um, but I get back up, I learn, I go, cool, let's, let's change the approach. Right. Um, and that's how I learn. This is how we learn. So yeah, these conversations are intensely nuanced and there is not a vocabulary for them yet, which is why I think they're so complex and so difficult because people don't even understand the problem. And we can't even have a conversation about the problem without it being this cancel culture situation. So it's like, mm-hmm. where do we go? Like, it's not, it's not like, it's not really solvable in those conditions, yeah. which is why I think to your earlier point about Bucky Fuller, like the system that has to change is our nervous system and our approach to things has to rapidly change. And I think we'll get majorly different results for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we know, you know, one of the things I'd like to ask about, cause it kind of gets into a little bit of like emotional intelligence um, awareness, uh, feeling your true feelings is, is this nuance difference between feeling between um, a, a true intuition and something that is um, uh, a trigger like of a trauma, you know, sure. cause like oh, yeah. there's a, there's so, I, I still don't have, I'm not great at it, but I mean, the difference between the intuition and sort of the trigger, the trauma. I mean, I don't know you well, but I think you're probably doing better than you're giving yourself credit for. It'd be my guess because you've <laughs> done some pretty awesome stuff in your life. And I'm sure a lot of it's been intuitive. Be my guess. Um, but it sounds like what you want to do, because you're obviously into high performance, you want to get better at it. But I don't, I don't know if you're not good at it. I don't know if I would, if I can <laughs> let it go that far, uh, if I may be so bold. Um, Thank you. But um, like I was talking with Leanne Rhymes like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, she's amazing. And she was like, she was like, yeah, just like in like the last like two years, I feel like I'm stepping into my purpose. I was like, whoa, slow down, girl. Like you're Leanne Rhymes. Like you're an icon and like in the last two years you started to step into your purpose. Like, can we just like pause on that and acknowledge how epic that is? Like, holy cow, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, oh my God, I can't even imagine what's next. Right. Um, it's just, I think pausing on some of those moments sometimes can be very powerful and very important. Um, and my hunch is that you have uh, really good, finely tuned intuitive skills. But what I can tell you is that um, like, let's just, practice for a second, right? Has there ever been a time in your life where you had this very clear yes? That like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. And like, mm-hmm. it's like so clear to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you know what that feels like in your body? Clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then have you ever had a time where it's such an obvious no, you're like, oh no, that is not for me. Yeah. Okay. And you know what that feels like? Mm-hmm. So no, that's, that yeah. So that's the baseline right? We want to start there. Like you already know what it feels like to have yeah. a yes and a no, right? Then it's about understanding. This is, the, this is the hard part. When you're making intuitive, first of all, people say, I want to be more intuitive. It's like, no, you want different intuition. <laughs> right? I mean? Because like, no, they want, they, they want to intuit something differently. Meaning like they don't like the intuition that they're getting. They want to be a different intuition. Right. Everybody's well, the intuitive. problem is that your intuition sometimes goes, ooh, shiny things go there. And you're like, that feels so good. And then it's like, ooh, intuition's like, get out of that relationship or like mm-hmm. quit that job. And you're like, whoa, I mean, that's probably not true. I probably just need to try harder <laughs> or you know, whatever. Like you go to that, that intuition, yeah. but, but intuition is not discretionary between like what you 
you think you, what you as your like the place in this world is right now, what you want, it's more about the long game, right? So it oh, knows definitely. your higher self and your, you know, potentiality in a way that you could never understand. And That's so, right. you know, the no's are just as progressive, just as great as the oh, yes. Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. And like, here's the thing. And uh, I don't know if I have any data on this that I can cite. So I'm just gonna have to tell you this is anecdotal, but what I've seen in my own life and with our clients is anecdotal. Okay. It's anecdotal. Meaning like for people, what's anecdotal? It's just observed. It's not verified through peer reviewed research. Okay. Um, when you get enough interoception, meaning awareness of your internal mechanisms and all your emotions, right. And you start to make contact with your most traumatized parts and like start to like love them and surface them, make them more explicit, share them through relationship. And they start to feel better over time. On the other side of that part kind of being, for lack of a better word, like pulled out of purgatory, right? Mm. Like that is your direct connection to spirit right there, right? Like that part is also your direct connection to your intuition and to spirit. And so what can feel like intuition can sometimes be uh, a dissociated trauma response and like a subtle underneath that is what the intuition is, but it can very, very, some, very similarly the part that's most traumatized is usually the part that's most sensitive to intuition too. Um, and so when you can help that part become more explicit and more regulated, um, and then you start to listen to it, because that's the whole point of an illness, right? As we were talking earlier about is like to listen yeah. to your body. When you can actually listen to the part that was suicidal or super angry or depressed, and you can start to improve your relationship with those parts and go, mm. what are you, what are you, what are you trying to tell me right now? Right. Mm. And then you're like, oh, I should leave this relationship. Right. And mine's like kind of like right here on my left side. Uh, that's why I'm doing that. Right. That's where I feel it. And this is also the part that gets activated when I feel super abandoned. Right. I'm like, all right, man, what do you need? Right. I need a hug. Okay, cool. Let's get a hug. Right. Um, and, but the intuition is also right there too. Um, and so they can be very finely married, but at the same time, if you can anchor into like remembering what the yes was and what the no was, it can be very helpful as well. But usually an intuitive choice is like, co-occurring with absolute fear <laughs> because it usually brings you more into the mystery of life and less into the certainty of life. Right. Um, and so it can feel very, um, I don't know, strange. In fact, I just relocated to Los Angeles and like this feel, this felt like a crazy choice to me for a long time. I had to check in with like 15 people. And I never overthink things, right? And I was sitting with my therapist who's like, was trained by Milton Erickson. Like she's like top, top, top therapist. She's incredible. And I was like, am I crazy? Am I, can you please tell me if I'm like bipolar or crazy or like psychotic right now? And she's like, went down the list. She's like, no, I think you're making a really good choice. And I was like, but it feels awful. She's like, actually, Mastin, usually you go so fast that you don't feel your feelings, Right. And you end up maybe not making the best choice. What you're doing now is you're going slower, feeling your feelings. And it's actually a better choice because you're so in touch with your feelings. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So what's wrong is right. And what's right is wrong. She's like, <laughs> basically, right? And I was like, oh my God, I hate this. <laughs> I hate this so much, right? <laughs> So why it, it, is it, hard. why is it, and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but I'm hearing discomfort for a decision that, you know, is good for you, or that seems really like a smart one from people around you. Um, so in that kind of vein of thought is like, why is it that if we're going to alchemize 
a dynamic within us, a pattern, a hormone regulation, a, a hormone loop that we're in. Why it like it? There's so much. There's always pain. That's what I'm be. trying to say. Yeah, sure. It's yeah, like pain, but pain and suffering pain. are different. They're different. They're different. Okay, what's the difference between pain and suffering then? So pain is like part of life, right? Um, in fact, a friend of mine sent me a song recently called, I think it's called I Wish You Pain. And it's, by, it's by Andy Grammer. Um, and it's actually an amazing song because the whole idea is that like, it's the pain that helps you grow, right? It's actually mm -hmm. a really triumphant, beautiful song. Um, the first two times I listened to it, I was like, bitch, why'd you send this to me? Like, what are you trying to tell me, right? I was like, what? You wish me pain. And I was like, wait a minute, Master. Like, listen to these words. And I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Suffering is long-term and it's like you have an external locus of control, meaning your power is outside yourself. It's out there somewhere. You don't have the power. Mm -hmm. It's internal. Pain is like, I don't know, you're training and how do you get stronger, right? Well, mm -hmm. you have to create micro trauma in the muscle that then needs to go through a um, uh, sorry, catabolic process, right? So you're breaking down the muscle. Mm -hmm. Then when you're sleeping, you go through an anabolic process of repair that then turns those micro traumas into what? Muscle fiber, right? Um, and so like, that's a painful process. Suffering is like you ripped your, you know, your tendon or something like that. And like, you're not able to perform anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so pain is unfortunately a necessary part of growth. It's kind of, they go together for sure. But suffering is like living in something that you don't need to live in anymore because it's just like an old pattern that has to die off. And most of the time when you're making an intuitive decision, it's guiding you beyond the confines of your wiring to a new future, right? Like we talked about with Dispenza. So you're mm -hmm. going to a new future, but it's so foreign to your nervous system that it's scary because mm -hmm. you've never been there before, right? Think about any goal that you want to achieve. I don't know most people. Most people don't set goals that they've already done, right? <laughs> right. right? They want a new goal. So if you want a new goal, that means you're trying to do something you've never done before. Yeah, it's going to be scary, <laughs> Yeah. right? That that's Absolutely. so yeah. That mean does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because there's always just pain on that. You know, I mean, it's the pain, the pain of letting go of a situation, the pain of never, you know, something not being the same, the pain of a new, you know, the pain of new programming, essentially. Um, but I always stress that to people that you know, if you're truly making progress from an emotional state with the things that are causing you sadness or hurt or pain or whatever it may be, or suffering because suffering is from the outside. Pain is on the inside, but suffering comes from the outside, I guess, maybe like more or less. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like pain is like a required process for growth and change. Just yeah. like, I mean, think about it, right? Like, could you lift too much, too hard, too heavy and hurt yourself? Yes. Right. But when you, especially if you have a friend, never lift by yourself. If you're trying to do like, you know, to fatigue, right. You obviously know that, but like that, extra rep at that last rep, right? Where they just come on, you can do it. And they kind of give you shit or whatever. I don't know how you train, but that's, I just love it when someone's like giving me shit, not like that last rep. Yeah. That's where the growth is like right there. Yeah. Right now, if you go too hard, you like snap your pec or something like, no, that's mm -hmm. not what we, we're talking about. Suffering is like, you're in a dynamic. That's like an old pattern. That's not growing you. And it's just keeping you stuck and you're safe, mm -hmm. but you're not mm -hmm. growing. Right. To me, that's what suffering is. It's, mm -hmm. it's not really growth oriented. And the thing about pain is that the pain of growth doesn't last forever. It's temporary. Right. right. Um, and you know, like I got, I was in so much pain last year. Um, and like today, like I couldn't even, I had to crawl up the stairs last year. It took an hour and a half to crawl up the stairs. Um, because like no one heard me. So I had to crawl. It was so painful. Like today I'm like jumping over 
fences yeah. and stuff like that, doing my pliability warmups and stuff like that, no pain, right? Because I was able to change the system. Um, but suffering would just be like staying in that state, not learning the lesson, not doing the fascia mm-hmm. work, not mm-hmm. paying attention to my emotions, eating shitty food, like all that stuff, right? That would be suffering. So then what would you have? I mean, we've talked about so many juicy things, yeah. so much, this is the, sure, so you know, what is the, like for someone listening? That's like, I'm interested. What's the next step for someone? Um, I'm interested in my trauma. Yeah. Well, I mean, no one ever, but everyone, everyone gets there, right? Yeah. I, my, my suggestion is a couple of things, right? Is, you know, I mean, I don't want to be self-promoting, but I did write a book on it because I get asked so many times. I have a book called Claim Your Power. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a 40-day kind of almost like coaching process mm-hmm. to kind of help you go into all that. It's very powerful, has awesome reviews. It's, you know, we're doing clinical preclinical trial studies on the on the process now so we can publish the, the findings and show the efficacy. Um, but there's other amazing books. Like you could dive into uh, like, for example, uh, uh, Internal Family Systems just released a second edition book. That's an amazing book on trauma. You definitely pro- well, probably want to pick up The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk for sure. Um, those would be some good places to start. And then if you're wanting to work with like trauma-informed practitioners, obviously we offer that. But I would probably go to either like the IFS Institute, which is Internal Family Systems Institute, or somatic experiencing and their institute and like find trauma-informed practitioners who understand trauma if you want to do the work we have courses and programs and retreats and all that we have of a stuff. course in may and a course in june yeah right yeah we have uh, the may one is uh, actually a seven-day retreat that's called the root cause retreat that helps people understand how functional medicine and chronic disease pair with like functional mm-hmm. coaching and trauma work and then June is Claim Your Power Live, which is a three-day deep dive into your trauma and then into your purpose and kind of like coming out the other side really beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I love my stuff, obviously, but it's not for everybody. Um, there's also an incredible book, uh, if you're looking more into like understanding racial trauma, called My Grandmother's Hands. Um, that mm-hmm. is a phenomenal read, no matter what your skin color is. Um, so like those would be some places to start. And, you know, um, I would also say that it's important to look at your environment and your friends and start to pick environments and friends where you feel safe, right? To share about more vulnerable things. I think that's really important too, because without that, you'll feel very isolated. And isolation is a, a traumatizing experience. So don't traumatize yourself becoming traumatized. Well, we're meant to be in community. That's right. And you know, this last year has been tough, but um, oh, it, awful. So hopefully it points in the direction even more so of how similar we are than different and that we so. require community. Big time. Well, that's why, and I, I sent you a video on this, Uh, That's why where I am right now in Los Angeles, it's called Regulate HQ. It's a place for friends to come over. And like, we have so many things here that you could do, you know, training, weights, pliability, green juice, like mirror work. Just go down the list of stuff that you can do here. Um, Mm -hmm. And the goal is once we're kind of beyond COVID and everyone's kind of vaccinated, just like come through and like hang out, grab a workout, grab a green juice, cry a little, who knows, you know. Um, But that's really the purpose of it because I think that, at least for me, everybody was forced into uh, lockdown, but no one's forcing you to be social. Right. So I'm trying to promote more of that. Uh, I've had a few friends around so far who have been vaccinated and it's been so cool to see them like feel better just coming into an environment, you know? Yeah. Well, we're in a major, major point in history where all, all, so many things are being revealed and alchemized and so healed. True. And so thank you for your work. Danica, it's been so awesome. Thanks for having me. What an incredibly awesome interview. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.